0: Black Doctors podcast highlights the stories of minority professionals with the goal of inspiring others. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share with others, because the next generation can't be what they don't see. Tune in every Monday to hear our stories told by us. Hello and welcome back to the Black Doctors podcast. Today, I am privileged to be speaking with Dr. Carl Truesdale. He's an otolaryngologist or ENT surgeon. He's currently completing his fellowship in facial plastic surgery in Beverly Hills, California. Dr. Truesdale, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you
1: for having me, and thank you to all the listeners.
0: Awesome. And and I've followed you. i found you on social media. We've never officially met, but I've been kind of amazed watching your career progress and all the different things that you dabble in. So super excited to learn more about you.
1: Yeah, happy to share. Happy to share my path and hopefully... You know something is inspirational or i can help someone on their path
0: why don't you uh just tell us about yourself where you trained and and how you got started down this pathway to medicine
1: so it all begins in upstate new york <laughs> where i grew up i grew up in corning new york and my dad is a scientist and my mom's a very creative woman and i got a big part of who i am from them so Um, I actually had a baby brother who passed away when I was very, very young, around 10 years old. And when he died, it made me want to use my passion for science that I developed, you know, really from my dad to help people. And so at that point I decided I wanted to be a doctor and I pretty much did everything that I could to that aim. So, you know, studied very diligently and eventually I went to Morehouse College where I uh, you know, majored in biology and Spanish, and eventually met a medical school at University of Pennsylvania, where I fell in love with head and neck surgery, otolaryngology. And within that, I was pleasantly surprised that facial plastic surgery is one of the subspecialties in that field. And recently started my facial plastic surgery fellowship here in Beverly Hills, which I started in July of 2020 and I'll be completing in June of this year. And that's been going great and learning a lot, doing a lot, getting very busy with my practice and excited to start the next journey, which is opening my own practice here in Beverly Hills. So I'm kind of in the middle of looking for office space now. So that's kind of my whole, you know, chronological path. I did my residency at university of Michigan um, I don't think I said that before. So that's that's kind of uh, my pedigree, I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah, a little bit of uh, everything. So uh, hablas espanol.
1: Hablo espanol, si. Sí.
0: So when you were at UPenn, what drew you to the field of otolaryngology?
1: So once I got to medical school, I realized pretty early that I wanted to be a surgeon. I love working with my hands. I love seeing the immediate effect of you've got a problem and you want to fix it. You do something with your hands, and then hopefully you get a little bit closer to the goal. So I love that aspect. Um, I looked around, and there was a career panel when I was a first-year medical student of different surgeons who were there, and they discussed their specialties. There were orthopedic surgeons and head and neck surgeons and plastic surgeons and cardiac surgeons and otolaryngology, head and neck surgery, or ENT uh, really caught my attention the surgeon who was there discussing it really you know was very impassioned. I ended up shadowing with him. It had something for everyone, so the surgery big surgeries taking people you know people 's cancer out or restoring their hearing or their voice you 're an airway expert, you get to save lives, but you also have facial plastic surgery, laryngology otology so Um, All of that subspecialty knowledge, the ability to use surgery but also medicine, that really spoke to me, and um, eventually I decided facial plastic and reconstructive surgery because I'm a, a portrait artist, and so I couldn't think of a better way to help people practice medicine, be a surgeon, but also practice my artistic endeavors on a daily basis, so I really feel like I am living in my purpose on planet Earth as a facial plastic surgeon
0: That's incredible. How did you position yourself as a medical student to be able to match into this uh, extremely competitive field?
1: so when I was a medical student, you know it helps you know that I came from penn um I did a year of research extra research at Penn actually studying rhinology and inflammatory diseases of the nose. And that set me up. I did a lot of extracurriculars, research, and great letters of recommendation, performance, and scores. So a lot of, as you know, a lot of this comes down to, you know, just hard work, diligence, and uh, performance. And so I was blessed to be able to work hard and be able to retain information. And that kind of showed through on my application. I also really, diligently practice interviewing. And I think all of that set me up for a really good match into residency. And University of Michigan historically has been a powerhouse for its training. And so I I decided I wanted to go there because they had the best head and neck surgery training in the country. And I knew that that would propel me to whatever Subspecialty of ENT that I wanted to do, whether that be head and neck oncology or plastic surgery. So that's those are kind of the overarching idea of how I positioned myself.
0: Did you do any away rotations
1: when I was a medical student? I actually did. I did uh, an away rotation at Jefferson. I also did an away rotation at Emory uh, when I was at Penn. And you know, the other interesting thing is when I was a medical student, because I took a year out for research, I was able to do extra ENT electives. So huh. by the time I actually started residency, I had done five five ENT electives. Um, <laughs> so that's almost a half a year of ENT before I even started residency. So those things helped as well. Extremely, extremely well
0: prepared. We'll get to this a little bit later on, but you have a lot of hobbies. How did you maintain those hobbies or what did you do as a medical student? You know, extremely busy medical, stu- medical mm-hmm. school residency. How did you maintain those hobbies?
1: You know, I think a lot of it comes down to time management. And so when you're a medical student, when you're a resident, whenever you are in medicine, there's not enough time. <laughs> there's not enough <laughs> time in anyone's day. And I felt that too. The idea, though, is, you know, managing the time that you have. And so I actually, I'll shout out, uh, Mrs. Cody, who was my fifth grade teacher way back in the day, we had a time management class and she really, that class had a huge impact on my life Fifth grade because fifth grade, fifth grade, because, you know, at that point she was a secretary in her previous life and. Um, you know, time management for her was something that she really wanted to pass on. So staying organized, prioritizing the things that need to get done, trying to limit procrastination as much as possible helps you free up your time that you can use to dedicate to whatever you want to do. So, um, and that as well as just working, working really hard, working smart, um, diligently so that you have some time to spend on your hobbies. So in medical school, I picked up figure skating. I, at the time I flew a lot of model airplanes, um, which I eventually transitioned to flying real planes when I got to residency it was something that I really wanted to do my whole life. Huh. Uh, but you know, it, it's one of those things. And then playing piano and doing my portrait portrait art, It was something that I just really needed to carve out time, and you make sacrifices to do that. So that's what I did, and that's what I continue to do.
0: So as you were finishing up residency at University of Michigan, you were looking at plastic surgery fellowships. How did you choose a fellowship you're at? Um, I'm sure there's quite a few options. What did you look for in this fellowship?
1: Right. So the fellowships are through the American Academy of Facial Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery and you really have as an applicant three big choices to make in terms of branch points you can either do a fellowship that is very very cosmetic which is what i chose you can do a fellowship which is uh very very heavy reconstructive which means you you might be doing free flaps and microvascular surgery or you can do a program that is a little bit of a mix, more balanced. I coming from University of Michigan had a very very strong background in reconstructive surgery and I knew that for my career I wanted to really have my own private practice, have, you know, primarily my focus on the cosmetic aspects. So I looked for those fellowships. And so I I came up with a list and I interviewed, I applied to I think 17 different places out of the 40 different fellowships for facial plastic surgery. And I interviewed at 15 of them. Um, A lot of it comes down to you working with a mentor and a a fellowship director. Um, And so it really has to do with Location, how you get along with that person, what do they specialize in, and what is your exposure going to be and after reviewing kind of everything that I had, all of my options, I ranked uh, the fellowship where I currently am here in Beverly Hills as number one and he ranked me number one and this is kind of where I ended up
0: so tell us about this year long fellowship. What are you doing? What's a typical day like for you?
1: So the fellowship is geared to it's really an apprenticeship. So you work one-on-one with a physician. My fellowship director is Andrew Frankel, who has been working in Beverly Hills for the last 25 years, well-known, world-famous plastic surgeon. And so I wanted to learn from him. And so our the days are split between surgery and clinic. Um, we're very, very busy right now. So we operate probably four or five uh, days out of the week. Wow. And in the afternoons, we see patients. My, um, you know, where I carve out my space is I see patients when I do, when I'm not available to Dr. Frankel, my mentor, uh, when he doesn't need me on Friday afternoons and evenings and then Saturdays now that I'm getting busier. And so if I find patients who come to me, whether they want Botox or fillers or rhinoplasty, no surgery, a facelift, whatever it may be, I see them, and they're my patient, and I treat them and give them good care, and um, you know follow them. So that's that's kind of how my fellowship works. At the end of fellowship, you have another series of tests and uh, photo collection, so that you are double board certified in not only otolaryngology head and neck surgery, but also facial plastic and reconstructive surgery.
0: And what can you tell us about this new practice you're opening up?
1: So um, I will be doing everything above the shoulder minus the eyes and brain as it relates to (laughs) facial plastic surgery. And so, you know, my focus right now is just really getting great results from my patients and great before and after photos. So, um, you know, patients, I would say right now, most of my patients come in for uh, fillers, but I also, if a patient has a surgical concern, I'm happy to do that for them and give them good results. Right now, I'm looking for office space in Beverly Hills. I just set up my S-Corp, all the foundational things uh, to set up a practice. So that's that's been a very exciting part of my life over the last couple of months is just running, you know, thinking about running a business, thinking about marketing, thinking about website design. I built my own website with my wife and, you know, I do all my own marketing, my Instagram, my videos, thinking about reaching out to patients and doing the surgery and the follow-up and all of the things, you know, ordering supplies, all of the things that go along with running a medical practice I've kind of started doing.
0: Definitely have your hands full. (laughs)
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) So let me ask you this. When it comes to plastic surgery, I saw one of the um, patients you treated recently on your social media. Mm -hmm. When it comes to ethnicity Mm -hmm. and the ethnic differences in the patients you see, how do you... I guess, treat each patient differently or what are the similarities and differences when it comes to cosmetic procedures?
1: So first thing I would say is people are people. And so I think a lot of people probably start off with the wrong idea and trying to treat people differently. At the end of the day, we're doctors and our number one goal is to safely perform whatever medicine, medical practice we are doing and take really good care of people. And so I hold that true for my patients who are black, who are Latino, who are white, uh, who are Asian. I give, I try to give them a hundred percent of me. And so that, that doesn't change. That's a constant, but mm-hmm. there are differences in terms of ethnic, ethnic backgrounds, their facial anatomy in terms of how you might approach them, what things might work, what things are contraindicated. For example, a Caucasian patient or a patient who has a lighter skin tone might be a candidate for a laser that an African-American patient, it might cause hyperpigmentation or hypopigmentation. And so you have to know those nuances on top of kind of the cultural sensitivity, which I really appreciate in terms, you know, I'm a black man, I'm doing... African American rhinoplasty I'm doing surgery on 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 people of color you have to think about you know uh hypertrophic scars or keloids you have to think about the differences in the way that the skin the tissue lies the aging patterns there's a lot of nuances um I could talk for an hour about it but <laughs> you you know what I found is a lot of patients um are finding me and coming to me for good care, but they're also attracted to the idea, this is a young black facial plastic surgeon who's you know out here and he's got beautiful results. And I haven't seen someone who looks like me doing this before. And so I fully appreciate and really am thankful to the patients who come to me for that. I treat all patients, but that's one thing that I've been struck by is the support from the community. And really people who've been looking for it but now it's here. And so, really happy to kind of just be living in this momentum.
0: Good, good. I'm excited to see your practice uh, take wings and fly. Thank you. Which leads to the next thing I want to talk about. You are a pilot. You said you were flying model airplanes, and then in residency you learned how to fly. So how how was that process? How did you go about that?
1: Yeah, so I grew up in uh, Corning, New York, which is right next to kind of the soaring capital of the U.S. So where I grew up, there's a lot of hills in upstate New York, and it's great for drafting. So a lot of my friends growing up flew sailplanes, and whoa, my whoa, parents. Whoa. You got to hang on, hang
0: on. You said the soaring, <laughs> soaring capital of the world. You got to explain soaring that cap- and yeah, drafting. So-
1: yeah, so in Elmira, New York, kind of heads area, there you have Harris Hill, and that area is actually the soaring capital of the U.S., which means it has great drafting, and that is you know, where you'll find a lot of sailplanes, which are planes that don't have engines. They just use the drafts and you know gusts of wind to keep them aloft. Um, so there are a lot of those types of planes where I grew up and some of my friends growing up, uh, took pilot lessons, flying lessons to learn how to fly these, but my parents were not about to let me go and fly, (laughs) you know, when I was growing. So I always loved the idea of aviation, of flying, the freedom, all of that. Um, and so I got into flying model airplanes, but really didn't have the outlet or the means to be able to do that until I got to residency. So when I got to residency, my second year, I started taking private pilot lessons at the local airport in Ann Arbor. And I um, was able to kind of learn how to fly single engine planes and, you know, fly myself, you know, uh, which is really a, an, an eye opening and uh, one of those bucket list things that you want to do um, become a pilot. And so I was able to do that. I haven't flown in a couple of years just because of residency got busy and now COVID, but I'm looking forward to getting back up in the air. And next, next on the list, um, how long you been doing art? I don't remember not doing art, <laughs> <laughs> but I would say, you know, I've, I've got some artwork that I've seen when I was like four years old, but that, you know, I'm, I'm a, sol- a self-taught artist, but I work, primarily portrait work, so the human face, uh, which, you know, obviously that's what I do for a living now. But um self-taught, I remember kind of learning how to shade and use pencil. I started off using pencil, graphite, uh, transitioned to charcoal, and then in medical school I transitioned to oil painting. Um and so I think painting is always in drawing has always, you know, scratched my creative itch and it, it reinforces the things that I've learned about human anatomy and that human anatomy, now that I use my art reinforces my technique and my, you know, my results. So it's worked kind of synergistically being an artist and now surgeon, you know, everything that I do is about millimeters and about, you know, tissue handling and the ability to see and create and shape. And so I'm just so blessed and happy to be able to work in this field, honestly.
0: Yeah, did did you start off with crayons at any point, or did you skip the graphite?
1: I think I, th- I think I skip crayons. Honestly, I don't, <laughs> I don't I don't I don't think I did crayons.
0: <laughs> oh man! And then something that's near and dear to my heart because I, I took piano lessons since I was a kid. I think ten or eleven. When did you start playing the piano?
1: I think around around that time, around ten or so. I don't you know. I I think it all started when I was really young, and I think I watched like ted's like crazy adventure or something like that, and being really like blown away by the Beethoven character and kind of so I like got really inspired, and my cousin played the piano and so and grew up in church so i I love the idea of creating and music and all of that, and so I begged my parents, please give me uh lessons, so I took lessons at the local church and um you know, just kind of progressed from there so now it's something i do really more from a relaxation and kind of an outlet but kind of classically trained and love to still play around on the piano to this day yeah you play any jazz I started playing jazz when I was in med school, so a little bit, but not it's not at, I'm not as good at playing jazz as I am at kind of classical or written music, uh, sheet music. So um, I'll play it, but I can't say that I would like go to a jazz club and just start improv with your local jazz band.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I can read sheet music. I'm classically trained, but I never made the jump quite into the jazz music. Right. Wish I had.
1: Right. I think it's honestly, it's something where it's best to get into it when you're really young so that you, your brain can mold, you know, it's like a plastic thing. It's, it's different.
0: Yeah. How do you think your music has affected your career in medicine?
1: Uh, I think everything that we do when we're young kind of helps create who we are older. And so the, Sticking with something, practicing, practicing, trying to redo it over and over and over until you get really good. That's something that I've, I can't say it came from music and practicing piano, but it definitely has helped. The creative outlet, it definitely helps those, those nights when you're, you know, really exhausted or maybe you're burnt out or whatever it may be, you're down in residency, those long, long, long hours and you come home and you sit down and you play the piano and you get lost. That's kind of how I use piano now. So it's not from a, um, it's it's not as directly impacting my plastic surgery as maybe my art is, but it's still there, you know, and I, I play every week.
0: See, I totally agree, you know, having those skills, to I don't have half of those skills, but music at least is a, is a nice little uh, outlet and release. For sure. So I just want to comment on a couple of the, the publications you've been able to, to produce. So you have a paper in the Journal of Otolaryngology Head and Neck Surgery about prioritizing diversity in otolaryngology head and neck surgery, mm-hmm. starting a conversation. Mm-hmm. And more recently, you were featured in, it was ENT Magazine or ENT Today? ENT.
1: Yes, ENT Today. Can
0: you tell us uh, just a little bit about those articles and, and your passion for increasing diversity in the field?
1: Absolutely. So we all stand on the shoulders of people who came before us. And so I take it very serious, serious to seriously to create shoulders that other people can stand on in the near future, because I am fortunate to have the position that I'm in and uh, people weren't able to do what I do, you know, 50 years ago. So, You know, trying to bring up the next generation is something that has been, you know, one of my passions and something that was ingrained in me when I was young through my dad and my family, but also when I went to Morehouse. That idea of, you know, trying to help the entire community, Um, that's something that I wanted to continue to do when I got to medical school and when I uh, entered residency. And so I started residency at uh, University of Michigan, which historically has been the you know the the greatest producer of African American had an ex surgeons out of really you know produce yeah produce more than any other residency program in the country, and to this day has more residents than in their uh, residency who are uh, African American than pretty much any other in the country. Uh, but when I started as an intern at michigan there were no other black residents so i was kind of the first after five a five-year hiatus um and so working with the uh the leadership dr brown david brown who is the dean of diversity and inclusion at michigan who also an otolaryngologist black man who trained at michigan as well as the uh the chair of my department dr Uh, prince mark prince who also had uh, a mission to kind of increase representation. We did a lot of efforts to increase diversity and it it kind of came through at the, you know, when I was gra- graduating residency um, and we only had 20 residents in my program, five of them were, um, you know, African-Americans. So, you know, very proud of that. And so what the articles discuss is my thoughts on how to increase the pipeline of diversity and inclusion within a field which historically has been very very underrepresented, even more than uh, black people in medicine, which already is underrepresented. So, very proud of, of my efforts and done a lot of teaching and mentorship and continue to do that. And that's something that I'll want to continue going forward in my life.
0: Awesome, Dr. Tuesday, you are every bit uh, impressive in person as you are on social media. You can't always say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you so much for joining us on the show. I know people, um, if they want to follow you, find out more, go get their nose did. Where can they, uh, where can they get a hold of you?
1: Yeah, so I would say the best way to get a hold of me is on Instagram. I am at Dr. Spelled out, D-O-C-T-O-R dot, Truesdale T R U E S D A L E. You can go to my website, drtruesdale.com, or my art website, carltruesdale.com. Um, you can uh, call my office in Beverly Hills if you'd like an appointment. You can reach out to me with any questions or really anything that you want to talk about. I'm happy to talk with you and hopefully we can all get there together.
0: Awesome. We'll definitely include a link to your website in the show notes. Dr. Trusdell, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you and thanks for having me. Take care. The Black Doctors Podcast is a nonprofit
0: volunteer passion project with the goal of inspiring all who listen. Tune in next week for another episode of the Black Doctors Podcast with Dr. Stephen Bradley, your friendly neighborhood anesthesiologist.